All right, a couple of Sundays ago, we started the exhortation uh, section, and we went through that. I wanted to, last Sunday, take a look at the examination that it mentions in the exhortation as as St. Paul exhorts us to examine ourselves. And so we were going to take a look at the examination of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. In order to do that, I was going to walk through, I wanted to give you a little bit more of a context. I was going to walk through 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, uh, which were kind of the immediate context, but I, I jumped back just a little bit to 1 Corinthians 8, where uh, Paul is already beginning to talk about things offered to idols, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, and uh, food, and and these kind of things. And I stumbled upon the conscience being weak. And eating an idol temple will not the conscience of him who is weak. And about 30 minutes later... <laughs> I, I realized that the Bible study had taken uh, a turn that I hadn't anticipated. Um, although I will tell you that it it jogged my memory, and I remembered that I've done this before, <laughs> where I I ran into conscience and. Uh, things went awry, and I went, ah, why didn't I know that that was coming? <laughs> and uh, I went back into my files, and I actually found you've got a new sheet in front of you, a white sheet that has conscience at the top. And I went, yeah, I put something together for this. So I updated it just a little bit, and I thought, you know, I'm not in any great hurry. Um, we can slow down and take a look at this so that it makes uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 a little more uh, understandable. So let's take a look at the conscience. We'll take a little side journey and uh, see how that goes. So concerning the conscience, as the scriptures speak about this, One, the conscience of man is often characterized as a function of the heart. Um, 1 Samuel 24, David's heart struck him. What is this? Well, uh, it's referring to the conscience which is within. Number two, man's conscience is is informed uh, from the outside. Now, at first, though... At birth, the conscience does have a knowledge of God's law. It is a limited knowledge of the law. This is God building it in uh, to the man in his (coughs) conscience. Romans 2.15 talks about the Gentiles, those that don't even have the word. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. 
And so we see that God has written the law upon the heart. And thus, uh, the conscience itself will speak up. It will either accuse or defend them, depend upon whether they do right or do wrong. We all have this kind of built-in knowledge um, uh, that is inside. But we're going to go on to talk about how is it informed from the outside, here with God writing it in. Throughout life, the conscience is either A, correctly informed, and it may be correctly informed by God's word of law alone. That is, the law itself is a revelation of God, and it can teach us right and wrong, but what do we find? We find Ephesians 2.12, for speaks of those having no hope and without God in the world. Or, Hebrews 9, 9-10, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So if you have the law and that's all you have, it will show you that you have not done as you should, you are not pleasing to God, and you will be without hope. Um, the law leads to despair if that's all that we have even those arrangements which were set up uh, as we saw even with the Old Testament none of those will fully satisfy uh, because uh, they are only outward they don't deal with the inward the person themselves the conscience can also be correctly informed, that is, informed by the law and by the gospel. Uh, this, again, needs to uh, have the scriptures themselves, because the law written on the heart uh, doesn't tell us about Christ. When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, even uh, then, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, more perfect tent, not made with hands, out of this creation. He answered once, entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify the conscience from dead works to serve the living God? <coughs> so it's only by, not just by the law alone, but by the law and the gospel that the conscience is comforted. The law shows us our sin, shows us that we deserve wrath, but we are taught so that our conscience can, in the face of God's law, if, if God's law, going back to kind of Luther's uh, 20 questions for those who intend to go to the sacrament, what have you deserved from God because of your sins, his wrath and displeasure, temporal death and eternal damnation? Uh, do you hope to be saved? Yes, that is my hope. That's what the conscience can tell us. Yes, I have the hope. My conscience tells me I'm saved. I'm saved. Uh, this one goes on to talk about Paul talking about living in good conscience. Uh, C. 
But if the contents is not sufficiently instructed, and this includes knowing but not internalized, that is, not able to trustingly act upon it. Um, Romans 14 says, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Uh, as Paul's talking about this, if there is a conscience that kind of goes, well, I don't know, should I do this? Should I not do this? You know, if, if someone doubts concerning this, um, they can't confidently act upon what uh, uh, they've been taught, or maybe they've been taught it once, and they're not yet assured of it. Um, if anyone sees you have knowledge, this is First Corinthians 8 we are looking at, sees you eating in an idol's temple will not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. So the one who is weak in conscience then will do something that may be against his conscience. He still needs to have that conscience instructed. And finally, uh, a conscience can be misinformed, wrongly informed, by some other means. Um, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. First Timothy 4, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So a conscience can be warped, it can be seared. Uh, you can take like a board and by continually uh, um, applying pressure to it, uh, you can warp that board, so you can use it towards uh, uh, maybe a, a boat or something like that with a conscience as well. You continue to disobey it, you can get it to be warped, and it will not give you a straight line, not show you what's right. Or, as it says here, uh, it can finally be seared. Um, so, with this first page to explain this in terms of conscience, <coughs> one that is correctly informed, but by God's word alone, they may have a troubled conscience. The law shows them their sin, and now they're troubled by it. Um, the one who is correctly informed by God's law about his sin, but about the forgiveness of his sins, can have a good conscience. C, the one that is not sufficiently instructed, uh, maybe he doesn't know all of the, of the word, what it, what it teaches. Maybe he knows, but he's not yet internalized so that he can act upon it. I know that is right, but I just don't feel right I can do it. Would have either what we call a doubting conscience or a weak conscience. And finally, the one who is misinformed with a warp conscience, who has acted against it, has been mistaught, would have what would be called an erring conscience. Shirley. So when I turn on the news and I saw see all the evil in the world, that's the erring conscience, basically. There are those who are following their conscience. <coughs> thinking that uh, in order to assure myself of an eternal salvation, I must commit acts of terror and kill 
and brutalize and, and whatever, that would definitely all fall under an erring conscience. Um, that is, they have missed, you know, they've got the law wrong, they don't know the gospel. Um, it's not a matter of just trouble. No, no, no. Things are, and, and it's gotten so you know bad that they actually think good is bad and bad is good. So there's a warped. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the world. <coughs> yes. Yeah. That's sinful. That's sinful nature, yeah. and the world's full of it. Just a smaller example. I was reading where someone uh, thought it was justified to steal diapers because of the high price, <coughs> because motherhood was so important. <laughs> Oh. So they've come up with a way in which they soothe their conscience. Mary? Didn't Jesus say um, they will kill you thinking they're doing a service to God? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. To me, it's the same thing of reading some of our Christmas letters, all of this kind of stuff of living together. That's And that's because... And, and it's all that, that is all of it falls right into the same one. Right, right. The, um, I, I'll probably get to it later as well. Um, there is, you will also find that the things that we no longer even think about anymore, it's simply the way that things are, and, and we... Maybe even, you know, you might say boast about it. I, I we just speak about that's just the way it is. It doesn't mean that the conscience will never talk. Often, you know, it is, as I mentioned before, the arrows that fly by night, it may wake you up, there may be a dream. It may be that at the end of life, it may be that with something happening... It might still tell you, I know you've lived this way for many years and you've told everybody it's right, but your conscience may still speak up. What do we know from the scriptures? Well, this is what we know. The conscience, correctly informed by God's law alone, compares the person, his works, his words, to the standard of God's law, and what do they realize? <coughs> that God demands godly thoughts, words, and actions. He judges past thoughts, words, and actions. He'll ultimately condemn those things, and this will trouble the person with temporal and eternal death. If that is driven all the way to its rightful end, it will end in despair. That is, God demands this, I can't do it, what use is there in this? Why do I even try? Why don't I? And so we'll be despair. The conscience informed correctly by God's law and gospel compares his works to God's standards, know that God demands, judges, and condemns, but then ultimately it leads the person to acknowledge that he is a sinner, yep, who deserves temporal <coughs> eternal death, but then that knowledge of the gospel will comfort the persons, the works and the words of Jesus Christ and the good news. The conscience then will assure us that our past sins are forgiven. This is often called a clean conscience. 
my conscience is clean. I, you know, I know what I have done, but I know that I am uh, forgiven. Second Timothy one three. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He doesn't. He's not saying that he is without sin, but he's saying, I'm confessing my sins. I you know, show me my sin. I'll confess it. Uh, I know I'm forgiven. And so we see this, or a heart sprinkled clean. There's that reference to the heart, Hebrews 10. What does this do? It motivates the person with this correctly informed law and gospel conscience to want to keep God's law. We call this a good conscience. And so uh, the aim of our charge is love that issues from, it comes forth from what? A pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Those should work side by side. The faith that we have, the good conscience uh, that we have, so it is pure, and that should bring forth works of love or, or good works. That's the way this is intended. It is to work side by side uh, with the uh, faith that it might teach us, motivate us, so that our conscience says to us, you know, that person's in need. I need to stop and help them. Um, ultimately, it leads the person to profess that he is a dearly loved saint <coughs> who will be given eternal life through faith in Christ. I know that I'm saved. That's what I want this conscience that speaks in this way. 1 Timothy 3.9, they must hold the mystery of the faith. They hold to the faith with a clear conscience. Here's where things get dicey, and uh, I think that there is uh, a reason why often this topic uh, concerns us. First of all, man's conscience is not a fail-proof guide always to be followed. Hmm, why not? Um, as Ecclesiastes says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. You know, what, what happens when the fool says, my conscience tells me to do this terrible, rotten thing? God intends man's conscience to be correctly informed and to serve man by bearing witness to God's will, and therefore he desires it to be obeyed. Um, uh, I, I always take pains to have a clear conscience. Um, Romans 9, Paul says, I'm not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 13, uh, one must be in subjection, one must follow the law, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Conscience needs to be followed. Uh, and it speaks in that way. God intends then that the misinformed conscience, which does not agree with God's word, is to be corrected by the knowledge of God's word first and then obeyed. You don't say, well, no, just do this. You say, no, let me teach you so that your conscience is correctly informed. The misinformed needs to be rightly taught uh, so that then it will be followed. See, God intends that one's neighbor's conscience would be respected and or be taught by God's word. That was the 1 Corinthians 8 
section. Uh, the First Corinthians eight or First Corinthians ten says, you know, for the Christians, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. No one seeks his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so, when we are dealing with our neighbor, we are concerned not just for ourselves, but for love from them. If they have a conscience that needs to be rightly taught, we need to take the time to do that. Or, um, if, if it is weak, we need to give them some time uh, to, to bring this about. Let me come back to this, because that was uh, the whole point that we were going to uh, come to with this. Can I make a comment here? Yep. This conscience that we're talking about here is the conscience of a Christian. The conscience of an unbeliever is not going to be the same, because there is no faith in an unbeliever. So, when I'm talking about a weak conscience, it cannot be an unbeliever. He's right. Doesn't that fall underneath the misinformed conscience? Yes. Unbeliever? Unbeliever, right. Now, the person who does not listen to his conscience (laughs) is self-condemned. Um... Titus says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with knowing that such a person, knowing that, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is worse (coughs) and sinfully is self-condemned. There are those that we attempt to teach and attempt to teach and attempt to teach and finally Paul says, "Give, give it up. Um, and, and this is not that you never try to teach. It's just as regards them being in the church, um, they need to be removed. Next, the person who doesn't listen to his conscience is in danger, if not already there, of clinging to evil and committing the sin against the Holy Spirit or blasphemy. Uh, Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, 5-7, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they have make confident assertions. Or, 1 Timothy 1, a little bit later, as he continues this, talks about uh, this charge I entrust you Timothy my child in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this some have shipwrecked of their faith love whom are Hymenus and Alexander whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme So, to those, these who won't be taught have been removed from the church. They've rejected, shipwrecked their faith because they're not holding to faith and a good conscience, those which go uh, side by side. So, there is great danger in not listening to uh, your conscience. What does this mean? Well, it means that we need to correct, you know, uh, um, what happens if we have someone who's listened to a conscience that's 
misinformed. Well, now we got a real problem. If they do what it is, it's sin. If they disobey their conscience and don't do what they sin, uh, they got a problem. And so that's why these two things need to be put together. So this gives me just a, a quick overview of kind of the way that the scriptures speak. And it, it may be surprising. I think there's a couple things going on. I think it's surprising because we don't talk about conscience. We just don't. Uh, we don't realize how very important it is that we hold to that which is is right and 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 true. Um, I think society as well has done a, a job of saying whatever is established, you need to revolt against it. Whatever is said, you need to not do it. Uh, try to do whatever is not the norm. Um, but by this continual disobeying, that's uh, that's what we that's what we get. Questions about conscience, and I'm going to apply it to First Corinthians eight. Quite a lot of people shop for churches. They want to find one that says what they want to hear, what their conscience agrees with. They don't want to. They don't want to be contradicted in what their beliefs are. That is true. That is true. So for First Corinthians eight. He starts to make, and I'm just going to say, by starting at 1 Corinthians 8 and then going to 10 and then going to 11, he started off with kind of the least, and then he's he's ramping it up as the profession of faith is, is more closely tied. So concerning things offered to idols, concerning, and we talked about this meat that's being sold at the back of the temple, uh, someone went out and bought it. They brought it home. We've got a, a cookout. We're all sitting around eating hamburgers. The point is this. By the meat being used in some idle sacrifice ceremony on Tuesday, when you eat that meat on Wednesday with your hamburger... Is that patty? Has that is, has that patty in its essence? Has it been changed? Is it somehow different than another hamburger patty from Kroger? <laughs> and that's what Paul's point. Paul's point is what that meat is not any different from any other meat. We all know that. I mean, and, and yes, yes, maybe something happened to it Tuesday or Wednesday. You aren't there. You don't care. It's Friday. You show up. They give you a hamburger and a beer. Don't ask any questions. Just eat. He's saying, you know, will it, was it, is it going to harm me? You know, if after you eat it, then someone tells you this happened, you go, oh, no, I, I ate a defiled burger, you know. No. So that's where he starts. Is that similar to communion? You have a glass of wine with dinner, or that's completely different than the wine that you have with communion. Why is it different? Because of it's mixed with the word. What? Because it's given to you with the word of God. But after communion's over, why is it different? We treat it different. Why? 
It's been consecrated. It's the body and blood of Christ. I'm going to avoid that one. I'm, I'm going to leave that one off. Because I'm going to say, I think that's different. I do think it's different. But I would, I would say in a very same way that if, um, if some, if, if, if you said a prayer over your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and they didn't, you know, is your, is the essence of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, is it different from, you know, no. But I'm recognizing that what I've got, you know, it doesn't taste different. It doesn't. It, that, so that's where Paul starts, and he just starts with, with, you know, uh, uh, concerning, the, you know, the eating of things. We know an idol's nothing. We know that by their thing, they can't. You know, it's not. Nothing's changed. Um, yeah, what they did was wrong, and 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 all. Um, not everyone, though, has that knowledge. And those who have been involved in that kind of thing. Their conscience may be weak, and they may go, you know, I, I really can't go there. I just, it bothers me too much. So if their conscience is weak, they think something did happen to that hamburger. They think that this idol had some power or something. They're still, you know, um, and it, it may be that. It may also be, and I'm going to move on to the next thing, because I'm going to say they may feel that there is some participation profession of faith issue that goes with it. And you say, no, then Tuesday, I don't even know anything about that. Yeah, I just don't want it. So there there can also be more there. Well, it's amazing to me uh, the, the way we think about this. Because in Corinth, in Corinth, you had every religion possible in the world. Every known religion in the world was in Corinth. There was Judaism. Now we see Paul is talking about Christianity and Judaism together. But then you have all of these other things that that that. that all of these other religions that have nothing to do with the true God. And Paul says that those, those, the only, the only valid religion you have here is Christianity. But people that came out of the other religions who actually believed what they were taught in their other religion were being confronted with this food offered to these idols. Now, isn't it slightly possible that they might actually believe something that's left over from their previous faith that they haven't, that that the word, the Holy Spirit hasn't cleared out of their mind yet? That would be the weak conscience, wouldn't it? I don't understand how this is how this works. So I've got the the, the meat itself kind of thing wherever it is. Then Paul goes on to eating in an idol's temple, and, and I'm going to say it ramps it up just a little bit. And I gave the example last time of having a baby shower in the basement 
of whatever, the Methodist Church or, or something like that. Um, again, there was also this kind of public thing that, that happened. Um, you may be, I mean, even think if you are in a, another country in which the religion of the country is uh, Hindu or something. And that's a part of living in this country. And there are things and stuff that happen. Um, Paul is, is speaking about this and he's saying, well, you may not, but someone else may have a concern with that. I even mentioned about going to another church and having a concert there. And you kind of go, yeah, but is that... No, that's not... But, but it, it does ramp it up a little bit. It makes you think just a little bit more about it. Then, as Paul goes on, and I... I talked about why was Paul concerned about this because he says listen we know what happened with uh, the Old Testament and uh, those who were uh, God was not pleased with them going on to 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14 he now says my beloved flee from idolatry if he sounded a little wishy-washy with the meat or the or with the baby shower, um, he is unequivocally talking about flee from idolatry. This is not allowed at all, anywhere, anytime. Flee from idolatry. I speak as to men, judge for yourselves what I, as to wise men, judge what you say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread, one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So what does he say? He has now gone on to the Lord's Supper. And he says that the cup of blessing, the chalice that we have, it actually imparts to you the blood of Christ. In, with, and under the wine is the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, it's not, it's also, is it not, of course, a fellowship with the body? Uh, is, is the bread with the body? Of course it is. Where one is, the other is together with it. And when we partake of that one bread, which is the body, we become the one bread and the one body. We become a part of the body of Christ. We show ourselves to be that. And so he says, listen. This is what we do. Now he's going to say, take a look at Israel, the Old Testament, after the flesh. Look at the way they were. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What I am saying then? What am I saying then? Am I saying that an idol is anything or whatever is offered to idol is anything? Well, no. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have communion, fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of the demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So now he says... If we're talking about participation in that Tuesday ceremony of offering up to an idol or whatever, absolutely not. 
that participation in the worship, that communion with, that togetherness with, is off limits. Why? It would involve that you had two lords, two masters, um, and we are only to have one. You would bring about jealousy. And if this makes us one, do you want to make yourself one with demons? You can't make yourself one with the Lord and one with demons. That's not allowed at all. Um, you cannot partake of, of both of these. So uh, maybe the meat is not, or, or the uh, other being together with them, depends upon your conscience, depends upon whatever. But if we're talking about <coughs> idolatry, together with in the worship of that, no, not allowed. Isn't, isn't this where, where Paul makes the switch from the uninformed conscience is weak. It doesn't know what it's talking about. The informed conscience, however, does know what the uninformed conscience is thinking. If I force them to accept me for eating meat that they believe is polluted, then I am I am affecting their conscience. I'm I'm indeed driving faith from their heart because I'm participating with an idol, and I shouldn't do that because of weakness. And I think that we. When we get down there to 1 Corinthians 10, you can see that. Because Paul says, all things are lawful for me. It doesn't make any difference what I eat. But if I eat something that's going to affect somebody else, then it is not lawful. I can see where a person could look at this and say, if the meat from the idol is given away and it's free or whatever, if I give it to you, that's fine. But if I have to buy the meat... Now I'm donating to an anti-Christian demonic church. So now is it idolatry because I paid for the meat? Um, very good point. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm not quite sure if uh, if I want to open up the whole thing. But I will say that that's exactly... Um, uh, when we get into things called casuistry, how do we deal with this? There's a lot of muddy water and you kind of go, oh... So did I, like you said, if if I just came and ate, that's fine. But if I actively do this so that by my paying, I help to support the idol temple. Oh, you know, so this gets into modern kind of things where you kind of go, okay, so if I give money to this company who then supports this, am I? And you kind of go, well, no, I was just wanting to buy a, a catalytic converter for my car. I wasn't trying to support whatever, you know. Um but I think that, that sometimes it, it appears a little closer. Other times, we kind of go, well, I, you know, I mean, it, it, it makes a big difference if that is your business or if it isn't. Um, I mean, I'll just, I'll give you a real good uh, 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 example that that I've been actually asking people and kind of trying to work out, but to, to go through is, uh, um, so you, you see businesses... And sometimes they have a little fish symbol on it. What does that mean? Christian. It means they're a Christian. Yeah. Um, and so a business owner might might put that on his roofing business. And so you would say, okay, so my question is, so what does that mean? 
does it mean, A, that the owner is a Christian? I don't know about the employees, you know. Does that mean that this is a Christian business? Not quite sure exactly what that means. Does that mean I get a Christian roof? (laughs) But, But really, now follow me, if I buy and employ this man to come do my roof, what does that say about me? Does that mean I'm a Christian? Not necessarily. Or am I just a heathen and I go, listen, those Christians do pretty good work. And, and it gives me a good price. So does it imply absolutely nothing? Well, I'm not quite sure. We don't know. So, so, but we kind of like it, you know, and we we kind of go, oh well, you know, and then we kind of get it. So, so here's the next thing. So, what if the roofer has a rainbow symbol? So, what does that mean? How long has the rainbow been there? <laughs> <laughs> I, but, but again, we can go far. But my question is, that at this point, I kind of go, so, am, I mean, if it simply means that this is what this owner believes, well, fine. I just want you to come rough. You know, I don't, I don't care anything about all the other kind of stuff. But if my by doing this, it says something about me, and my support of the Rainbow Coalition, you know, then I go, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't think that's what it means, but I think it might. I, I don't know. Um, I know you're going to all give me answers. I, I don't want answers. I don't want, I, don't, I don't want to go down this road. But I think that you bring up the point, and that's where Paul at least is starting off with. I know when I have crossed the line. If you want to take Lord's Supper here, and you want to take... Lord's Supper anywhere else or other, you know, other that is idolatry. It is forbidden. If there are other things along the way, and again, from meat to whatever, I don't know, I can give you so many examples, there may be lots of conscience issues, and some of us might say that's fine, some of us might say that's not. That's what I have found uh, uh, to, to be true. Um, Sometimes it's a matter of informing your conscience. Sometimes it's a matter of, uh, you know, I, I'm just, it'd be fine, but I'm, I'm not going there. Well, I can give you almost, we have a, a couple of friends that are Buddhist. Many, many years ago, when they were very young, we employed them at the farm and helped them get their green card. And they've always been very thankful for us for that. And it seems like the older they get, the more they're into their Buddhism. We don't see them very often, but once in a while. More than what? They do, Audrey, she's the wife, is a very good cook. And she will often, when she comes down, she says, Well, I'll prepare your meal. She comes with the food and everything. Okay, let's say, now, this has never happened, but let's say she comes sometime and she's cooking the meal and she says to me, This meat here was, was uh, dedicated to Buddha the other day. <laughs> no, okay. I will eat it. I mean, I. Is not doesn't mean but am I giving them the impression that I think that this that, that this idol is something? See that that's always what I I think. Okay, what impression am I giving them the idea that 
it's okay to worship this idol if I go ahead and agree to eat this meat. Although I know it's, the meat's not been tainted. But what impression am I giving to them? That's, that's always been my... Because I care about my profession. Well, that's always been yeah. my thing. Um. And I have a question from when Violet held up her example. If, if our conscience isn't sure about it, then we shouldn't do it. Bingo. That's what Paul says. Yeah, what, yeah. Um, you either correctly inform your conscience so that you can say, yeah, I can do this without sin. Don't do it if you think that this may be... Sure. Don't go against it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Paul has progressed on, and again, he has hit the point at which there are things that are, are forbidden. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. We've come to understand what? God created it all. He made it all for us. It all belongs to him. None of this belongs to an idol. An idol is nothing in the world. We know that. Whatever's sold, yeah, just eat it. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. That is, when the unbeliever invites you, don't bring it up. Your conscience doesn't care. Your conscience doesn't care. But, he says... If in doing that, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Now, conscience, I say, not your own. Your conscience doesn't, yeah, fine. But do it for the sake of the conscience, that of the other. You might say, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? How come what I can do is judged by another one? You see, but if I partake with thanks, why am I evilly spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? So if I give thanks, why, why would this? Paul is going to say, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. But give no offense neither to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This give no offense. Um, It can mean, uh, the context for this give no offense can be leading someone into sin itself by your actions. That would be to give offense. Or it can be by your actions, you take someone who is weak in conscience, forcing them to do something that would be against their conscience. That is what Paul is speaking of in this particular instance as well. Um, And so... We who are free to do as we will may may not uh, use our liberty uh, if if it would give offense to one who is is weak. 
Mm-hmm. Now, when these Buddhists come to visit, I always say the Christian prayer at dinner. And is that giving offense to them because they don't? You cannot give offense to someone who does not have a weak conscience. So let me tell you it a different way because that's kind of two negatives and it doesn't quite make it as clear as I would like it. Um, if a unbeliever comes to my house and uh, by my, I don't know, uh, drinking a beer... The, the man is is offended. He doesn't have a weak conscience. He doesn't know. I, 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 I can't harm that at all. That, there's nothing that, that 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 would be a problem with. It is only for the person who is the Christian, my brother, who can have a weak or uninformed. Right? He needs to be taught. For that, I'm going to back off. I'm 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 going to. Oh no! I. I We'll, we'll wait. I don't know. Let's have lemonade. That'd be fine. If someone comes to me, uh, another denomination, and comes to me and says, listen, you're going to go to hell by having that beer. That also is not a weak conscience. That is not someone who is struggling and I'm trying to help. This is someone who has come to condemn. And at this point, I am instructed to do the opposite of that. And you say, where do I get this? We've got the exact same thing with Paul and Timothy and Titus. Okay? Hopefully I get the two right. (laughs) When Timothy is going with them, and they're going to Jewish territory, and he says, in order not to offend, he circumcises Timothy. When Paul brings Titus along and the Judaizers demand that he circumcise Titus, he refuses. Why? When it comes to the truth of the gospel, of the forgiveness and whatever, there will be no budget. If it is not about the truth of the gospel, if it's simply about a week and what can I do... I'm more than willing to bend over backwards to help and to not and to do. That's the that's the principle. That's the way it it, it works. Um. Yeah, the big problem here is you have to think about this. Yeah. <laughs> this can't fly off the handle. Where's the fun of that? That's right. Here's a section that I'm not going to spend a whole time on. All by the oh, yeah. What about a woman and her head being covered or uncovered? Wow. So Paul goes on and says, you know, concerning this, I praise you, brethren, you're remembering them all things, you're keeping the traditions just as I delivered them. And he says, in your congregation, we have, uh, 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 we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. We're following just exactly what has been given to us. Women in the church have their head covered. Men do not have their head covered. And that's the custom that we're all following in the church. He gives an example of what was going on in the Christian congregation at Corinth. They had received this, 
and everybody was following it. But he gives a hypothetical about what would happen concerning this. Um, and uh, it, it kind of applies to this situation that, that happened before. Is it required? No, it's not required. Um, this happens to be not a mandated thing, like do not murder or flee idolatry. The principle is uh, the difference between man and woman. It's shown by this tradition of head covering. The tradition may come and go, it may go away. We still teach what it says. And so Paul is dealing just with an, an example of something that uh, um, is neither commanded nor forbidden, and that's something that you have to do. Uh, and so that gets stuck in here as well. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 11, which is uh, the text we're going to pick up next time. You might remember, he's been answering questions. What about marriage? What about meat offered to idols? What about... And he says, now he's going to give instructions concerning something that's going on in the congregation. And he starts off and says, I do not praise you, since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. I do not... uh, praise you. As he's been going through, he just got done telling them, you follow the traditions, this you're doing well, here's some things to help with. We've got a major problem, and he wants to deal with it. And so, with 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to take a look at this situation that is, and I I put in in red, you might slip by it kind of quickly, since you come together, when he does this, you come together, every time he mentions that, he is talking about worship. He is talking about worship. When you gather for worship, that's kind of what, what, what he is saying at each point. Um, when you <coughs> gather for worship, here's what's going on. He's going to address the issue. He's going to go back to the words of institution in order to show that what they're doing does not uh, agree with the words of institution. And then he's going to offer a solution uh, concerning what would be the proper way to celebrate Lord's Supper. And that's where we're going to get into the examination. But I don't want to start it off uh, uh, today. I kind of wanted to put our conscience issues aside. Can I say that? Yeah, very good. And and take a look at the examination next time. Comments or questions? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us uh, good directions by your word. And we ask, dear Lord, that we might always go uh, back to that word to Uh, determine what is right in our thoughts, words, and actions. But you have also given us in our uh, freedom in Christ that we might love our neighbors. So in those areas which are not demanded by your word, and we can show our love towards our neighbor, give us uh, a a spirit uh, in which we can 
hold our liberty in check in order that we might love our neighbor by our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.